week I was, had a conversation with a guy whose name was John, and he had a 1953 Chevy pickup truck. It was beautiful. His hair was really remarkable. I noticed that about him. And I, I complimented him on his hair, and uh, we talked for a while, and um, I made a mistake in the conversation. I had some papers with me because I was cleaning out my car, and on the papers it said something about church, which is always kind of a killer to conversation with regular folks, you know. And he looks at the paper and he goes, oh, I see you're a church person. And I smiled. And he goes, man, he says, wouldn't it be something if everybody in the world acted like Jesus? Like, I love love Jesus. If everybody in the world, what would it be like if everybody in the world acted like Jesus? And then we had a a good conversation. We went on and talked a little bit longer. And then he said, I'm an agnostic myself. I just, I can't imagine. He goes, you know, there's a being out there that's so great. It would seem to me that you would be really arrogant to say that you know who he is. And I couldn't help, as I walked away, I couldn't help but think, I wonder if those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we really acted more like Jesus, if guys like John maybe wouldn't be agnostic. So that's what we're talking about in our series, Walk With Me. This is really what our church is all about. There's a guy named David Brooks, a profoundly gifted writer, and he writes op-ed pieces for the New York Times. And he recently wrote an interesting book called, um, it's called The Road to Character. And it was fascinating. The other day, I got a cup of coffee. I was reading this book. And here's what he says, uh, David Brooks. About once a month, I run across a person who radiates inner light. These people can be in any walk of life. They seem to me that they are deeply good. They listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. You often catch them looking after other people as they do uh, so. Their laugh is musical and their manner is infused with gratitude. They're not thinking about what wonderful work they're doing. They're not thinking about themselves at all. When I meet such a person, it just brightens my whole day. But I confess, I've often had a sadder thought. It occurs to me that I have achieved a decent level of career success, but I've, uh, and, but I've not achieved that. I've not achieved that generosity of spirit. I've not achieved that depth of character. A few years ago, I realized that I wanted to be a bit more like these people. I realized that if I wanted to do that, I was going to have to work harder to save my own soul. I was going to have to sort, have the sort of moral adventures that produce that kind of goodness. I was going to have to be better at balancing my life. And then he says something really profound. It occurred to me that there were two sets of virtues. Two sets of virtues. He said, one of those sets of virtues is what they call resume virtues. It's what you put on your resume, what you've accomplished. And then he said the other set of virtues are what you call eulogy virtues. They're what people say about you at your funeral. He said we ought to live in such a way that our eulogy virtues are our focus and not our resume virtues. And if you read David Brooks, he's a bright man. He got the idea from a rabbi uh, whose name I've forgotten, but he got the idea from the rabbi that has this theory about the... Adam number one and Adam number two and so forth. And as I listened to David Brooks, he gave a TED talk about this too. And as I listened to them, it occurs to me, you know, we can go back further to a rabbi, right? 
We can go back to Jesus, who is the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate teacher, and we don't have to save our own souls, right? But he's on to something there. What would happen if a group of people got together and they had the empowering ability of the Holy Spirit and they acted like Jesus acts? What would happen if a group of people in the power of the Holy Spirit got together and they did what Jesus said to do? Wouldn't John, my agnostic friend, would be right. It would be like, that would be so wonderful. But that's not the job of the agnostic or the unbeliever. That's our job. It's our job to walk with Jesus. It's our job to be like Jesus. It's our job, and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, to keep the commands of Christ. And it's what a disciple is. It's what it means to be a disciple. And our mission at our church here is is this, you should know this, to glorify God by what? How did you know that? Because it's right there, yeah. Our our mission is to glorify God by making disciples. And what are disciples? That's a good question, right? What is a disciple? A disciple is a believer who obeys the commands of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a disciple. You just have to be a believer in Jesus who has the Holy Spirit who's starting to obey his commands. That's kind of encouraging. Are you encouraged? Like, you don't have to memorize a big, thick book. You don't have to pass a test, right? You don't have to go before a committee. Amen? No, you just, Jesus says, do something. You do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are a disciple. You are a disciple. If you get saved, and you're on your way to the baptistry, then you're obeying the command of Christ. This is Matthew chapter 28, right? This is what our church is all about. And so our church has a discipleship process. Can you guess what our church's discipleship process is? It's not all coming up on our little screen there, but you know it's right there on the wall. And then we have it broken down like this. There are different ways that you can talk about it, but we have it broken down like this. Come, grow, serve. Simple, right? And that is come to church, a disciple assembles, right? In that, in that assembly, we're going to worship a Lord, in that assembly, we're going to give gifts. We're going to bring a gift. That's what God's people do when they come, to worship. We're going to sing and honor the Lord. We're going to love one another. That's just basic. And then we're also going to get into smaller groups. This is what we've always done. We've kind of got it organized in this way now, but you get into smaller groups. Those might be like Sunday school classes, or they might be like prayer partnerships. We even have little groups that we call grow groups that we would encourage you to get involved in. And then when you get involved in the grow group, what happens in the grow group, you might advance that because it's not working. There we go. Now back up. Um, when you get involved in a grow group, then what happens in that grow group, or what's supposed to happen, grow groups all have maybe kind of their own life, but what has supposed to happen in the grow group is, unless your grow group is configured in a, in a different way, is you're having fellowship with other Christian people in a small group setting, which is a lot different than sitting in a pew. You're more or less sitting in a circle. There's something about eating with people, sitting in a circle, listening to them, loving them, listening to their prayer requests. That's kind of what we call fellowship. We're working together. And then you're going to pray together in that you know, little girl group. And you're also going to study the Bible, but you're not going to study the Bible to show how smart you are. And you're not going to study the Bible to memorize, you know, big, huge chunks of the Bible. You're not going to study the Bible to impress people. That's not the purpose. You're, you're basically going to study the commands of Christ to decide which of them you're going to obey and how. It's that simple. Why? Why do we say that? Because the purpose of our church is to do what? Make disciples. And what is a disciple? A person who's obeying the commands of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, who's a believer. And so to get somebody to be a disciple, 
All you've got to do is get them to start obeying the commands of Christ. And they're like, um, they're like chocolate. Once you obey one, you want to obey another one. They're like potato chips. Oh, they're a lot better for you. You know, you just, one kind of calls for another. They're like old farmer in the church one time. He introduced me to pumpkin blossoms. I said to him, what do pumpkin blossoms taste like? And he says, I can't rightly say, but one calls for another. And that's the way it is with the commands of Christ. You go and you give a cup of water in Christ's name, and there's a joy that wells up within you, and then you find yourself looking around for something more to do because it is so fulfilling, it is so joyful, it is so fun, it is so right, it is so what we were made to do to be followers of Jesus and obey the commands of Christ. It's how we're wired. And that's what we want to do as a church. So the first command of Jesus, and we kind of got ahead of ourselves, but the first command of Jesus was this. So, so, so basically what we're going to do here is, you know, our first three messages in this series were come, grow, serve. If you recall, come, grow, serve. We took a break last week talking about our nation. But now what we're going to do is we're going to take, say, from now until Thanksgiving, we're just going to take a handful of the commands of Christ as examples of how to be a disciple one at a time. Jesus' first command, it's interesting, Jesus came saying, giving this command. It's interesting because John the Baptist came before Jesus, giving the same command in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3. John the Baptist says, repent. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 and other places, Jesus said, repent. The, re- the word repent, it means to turn. So I, I'm going to put my clicker down, and I'm going to ask you guys to help me advance from the booth because the clicker's not consistently working. So let's see if we can do it that way. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 and verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Jesus knew this, and this is why Jesus taught that the basic first command that he gave was the command to repent. Now, let me, let me make it really clear. Sometimes when we think of repentance, you know, we're, we're imagining kind of a revival service, sawdust floors, a lot of weeping and so forth, and you certainly can repent like that. But repentance should be a part of our everyday lives. It's the way we get into the faith, to repent of our sins and turn to Christ. And the word kind of means turn. And we repent of our sins and we turn to Christ. The scriptures say that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Let me show you some reasons why repentance is important. First of all, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. This is what he said. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So remember this. We've often said it before. Christianity is not a merit program. It's a mercy offer. The gospel is not a merit program. It's a mercy offer. If you want to change the lives of people that you know, get good at having gospel conversations and explaining that truth to people. It will really surprise people, and they're usually in spiritual darkness about that. They feel like Christianity is a merit program, kind of like the Boy Scouts. You've got to do good things, get badges. People say you're a good person, and if you have enough patches on your vest when you die, Jesus lets you in heaven. That's not true, though. The Bible is, is, says that man has got himself into a miserable mess bound for hell, and God set in motion a program not just to redeem man, but to redeem all of creation, including men, and given opportunity for to buy back out of kind of the slave market of sin as you know men and the whole world but to begin with we repent and to continue in walking with the lord we repent repentance is total change when a person is repentant when a person is uh when a person comes to christ they come to christ they somebody says this repentance and believing are like two sides of the same coin I was uh, in the store yesterday, I got a text from my nephew, David Dunbar. David's the boy whose dad passed away a couple of years ago, shoveling snow, if you recall, my brother-in-law. David sent me this text in the store, 
Yesterday I got it, and I looked down at the text, and it was a picture attached to it. And the picture was a picture of the, of the, of, uh, the front page of his Bible. Um, and he wanted me to see it because he got his Bible from his dad, and I gave the Bible to his dad. And it was in Christmas of 2007, and I inscribed, you know, Bobby, you, we all love you so much. You're such an example to us. And David said to me, Uncle Ken, it's so neat that you looked at my dad as an example. Bob Dunbar, you know, I've told a story many times, and maybe you have loved ones too, that when they passed, people didn't talk about their resume virtues so much, right? They didn't really talk about that much that they accomplished at work, but they talked about their eulogy virtues, the virtues that were the Christ-like virtues in their life. And that's the way it was with Bob. People loved him and liked him and wanted to be like him. Why was that? It wasn't because of what he accomplished at work so much. It was because he was like Jesus Christ. It was because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to stir your hearts to be. Not just people who say, I'm a Christian and I'm not going to hell, but people who are actively following Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus, the first step is repent. And repentance is important. That's what Jesus called us to do. And repentance is total change. Some people argue about that. Well, what does it look like? Is it just like an emotional thing? Or is it just like something, you, you, a volitional thing that you will yourself to do? Uh, the, the Greek word means like a change of mind. Is it just something that goes on in your mind? The truth is that the Bible teaches that if you study the word repentance and you study where the word repentance occurs, you realize that it's a total change. Repentance means I totally, in other words, people don't really become followers of Jesus Christ and not change, right? They don't. Like, so we, we always tell people salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's a gift, right? Amen? That's true. It's a gift, but there's a trick. There's a, there's a, there's a trick, if you will, if you want to call it that. There's something you need to understand about that. When you believe in Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone, and you receive the free gift of eternal life, then the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and that's God living in you. So guess who's going to run you now? Guess who's going to take over? Guess who's going to be in charge? Guess who's going to be the Lord of your life? When you get saved by grace through faith, and you receive the gift of eternal life, God comes in, and He takes over your life. And you're not your own boss anymore. He'll tell you what to do. And and if you want to be happy, you'll do it. Oh, and He'll empower you to do it. With the power of the Holy Spirit. So repentance is a total change. There's something more. Repentance is not only, not only is repentance a total change, but the scriptures teach this. Repentance is the first thing that we do in order to be, to enter into the kingdom of God. It's our entrance into the kingdom of God. That's why when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Now, there's been some buzz in our church about this whole thing kingdom. And I want to talk to you just a little bit. I frequently talk about this, but let me just remind you again. Last Sunday, we ended our service and we sang, build your kingdom here. Now, you know, if you listen to me carefully, we're not talking about the 1000 year reign of Christ. You know that, right? We're not going to build the 1000 year reign of Christ, right? We're not going to do that. Who's going to do that? Jesus is going to come. He's going to take care of that. That's not what we're singing about. You understand? We're not going to Christianize the culture. We can't vote the right people into office and Christianize the culture. That should be obvious to everyone, right? That ain't going to happen. But we are going to pluck people off the deck. We're going to lead people to Christ. We're going to, in that sense, in the broad sense of the term kingdom, we're building the kingdom. Does that make sense? When we're singing that song, that's what we're saying. Build your kingdom here means God. You rule here. You rule in this church. It's an expression of your kingdom. You rule in the Pierpont household. It's an expression of your kingdom. You rule in my heart. It's an expression of your kingdom. That's the way the Apostle Paul talked about it at the beginning and at the end of the book of Acts. 
And so when we use the term like that, the kingdom, we're using it in the broad sense. Jesus came, and he would have offered a literal kingdom to Israel, but they rejected it. But he offers his rule and his reign to us. Wherever he rules, there is a sense in which his kingdom is there. And there is that sense in which we are always, when we're doing the work of the church, we're building the kingdom of God. And that's why he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he says, repent. In other words, the way to get into the kingdom is by what? repentance how do you get into the work of god you start by recognizing your sin being grieved about it and the way that you were going and turning and changing your mind and your will and emotions and that that total change that's the fourth thing about repentance that makes it important is repentance is what everybody needs most that's why it says there in Acts 17 30 truly these times of ignorance god overlooked but now he commands what all men everywhere to repent where does everywhere mean everywhere in the whole world people should repent and follow jesus every culture of the world people should repent and follow jesus what should everybody do everybody should repent nobody follows jesus without repentance can you see why this is this is a good thing for you to study to do and that is to repent now by the way when we repent we are not following the example of jesus do you know why because he never had anything to repent over, right? He was sinless. He was perfect. But we do. And therefore, this is an expression of our desire to live holy and righteous lives like Jesus, who is our, not only our Savior, but he's our example. Now, that's the fifth thing. Bad things should stir us to repent. In Luke chapter 13, you have the story of the Tower of Siloam. It was like a, 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 um, a national tragedy or a regional tragedy. And people said, you know, why did this happen? And Jesus' answer in Luke chapter 13 wasn't to really answer the question that the people ask. A lot of times we ask the wrong question. What did this mean? And, and Jesus' answer was kind of a blanket answer. And he basically said, anytime anything tragic happens, the first thing you ought to do is just look at your life and repent of any, any area of your life where you're not right with God. So bad things should make people repent. But look at the next thing. In Romans chapter 2, the Bible says the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. That would be number six here in the next slide. The goodness of God should lead us to repentance. So bad things should make us repent, and good things should also make us repent. Can we go to the next slide there? Oh, that's it. Yeah. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Now go to seven. Repentance is one of God's greatest gifts. So I want God to gift me, right? I want God to be good to me. I want God to bless me. And the Bible says that repentance is something that God gives. That's interesting, isn't it? A lot of times we think that's just an act of my will. I'm going to choose to repent now. But God is the one who gives the gift of repentance. Greg Dameron, the sisters are here, and Greg went to be the Lord. But it was about last summer that I got a call, and he, he, he wanted to be baptized. Um, so it was Saturday night, and I said, that sounds good to me, right? So when Baptist pastors hear that, they put it in road gear. They get going, right? And so I, got, I, got, I went right over there and I talked with Greg, and his heart was so open. He hadn't walked with the Lord all of his life. He'd received Christ as a young man, hadn't really walked with the Lord closely, and yet here he'd come now face-to-face -face with death, and often what people do is they get bitter against God, and they go farther away from God, and they harden, their, harden themselves. And Greg didn't do that at all. From the very beginning, he was very tender-hearted, very tender-hearted, very much wanted to confess Christ. And he started coming here to church, 
even though he had uh, physical difficulties that made it very difficult for him, he was determined to follow the Lord in baptism. And you were here, many of you were here, and you saw Greg get baptized. And every time he could be in church, after that, he was in church. And he died with dying grace. Let me tell you something. That wasn't something that he worked up within himself. That was a gift that God gave to him. God gives the gift of repentance. So it says in Acts 11 and verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God saying, oh my goodness, God is giving the gift of repentance to the Gentiles. I paraphrased, right? The Jewish people are like, huh? I, they recognized the gift of repentance. When they got, That's the way I felt when I got saved. And it's clear those Gentile people have it, which is a shock to them. They're like, are you kidding? We don't even approve of Gentile people. We don't even want to be in heaven with Gentile people. That's the way the Jewish, they were prejudiced like a lot of us are. 2 Timothy 2.25, this is beautiful. You know, when somebody's a hard nose and they're hard, you know, that's what the Scripture says, you know, in meekness and gentleness, you know, in humility, correct those who are in opposition to God, and perhaps God will grant them repentance. See, that the language is like repentance is a gift. If you repented, it's God who put that in your heart and your, your desire. That's what the Scriptures say. Repentance is one of God's most wonderful gifts. Ask God to give it to you. And Now, we're not just talking about Repentance unto salvation. We're talking about a continual life of repentance, always turning back to God, always turning back to God, always turning back to God, turning away from my ideas back to God's ideas, turning away from my what I think is right back to what God says is right, turning away from how I feel like reacting to the way God wants me to react. And the Bible says, this is number eight, the Bible says that God, Jesus said to the church, I want you to be passionate about your repentance. I want you to be zealous and repent zealous, passionate. I wonder, are followers of Jesus, would be, wouldn't followers of Jesus be much more like Jesus, much more beautiful, much more attractive, much more magnetic if they repented more? All right, let me say it this way. Wouldn't it be nice if your wife repented more often? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if your husband was more repentant? You're like, yeah, dog, of course. Wouldn't it be nice if your kids were quicker to repent? Wouldn't it be nice if your neighbor repented every once in a while? Well, yeah. Okay, then wouldn't it be good if you repented more often? Are you just saying that you live in unbroken and complete total obedience to Jesus without ever being unlike Jesus? Okay, then you need to continually be calibrating your soul back to God and repenting. And number nine, the Bible teaches that repentance is the most direct route to a life that's joyful and happy and abundant. That's the, so you see what I mean? Following Jesus is counter our intuition. It's counterintuitive. I want to be happy. Jesus says, okay, start by repenting. You're like, wait a minute, repent doesn't sound like a happy word. I'm admitting that I have gone away from God. I'm admitting that I've done things that aren't pleasing to God. I've admitted that I'm living. That's what it means when you're doing what you want to do and it's against God. That's pride. I'm admitting that I'm living in pride. And you're telling me that in order to be joyful, in order to be happy, in order to have abundant life, I have to turn and then I have to admit that and humble myself and repent. Yep. Only if you want to be a follower of Jesus. There's no way to follow him without turning around in your mind, your will, and emotions and continually following him and continually following continue, Like, yeah, you have a dog. You ever, walk, you ever train your dog? You walk your dog. You're supposed to train your dog to heal. Does your dog heal? Raise your hand if your dog actually heals. A couple of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Proud of you. Yeah. So, you know, and so what happens is, you know, my dog's got this thing. 
where I tell him to heal, he heals. But I have a little thing or at least that you click it, and he knows the sound of that. And he knows that if I click it, he's allowed to just take off, which he likes to do. So I click. Every once in a while, I just be funny. I flip it, but I don't click it. And he tries to take off, and it's kind of humorous to watch. But anyway, he kind of dangles on the end of his thing. You wouldn't want to be my dog. It would, you'd not. Uh, but, but, but what happens a lot of times, he gets out ahead, and he doesn't know. And you'll see him kind of turn like, where are we going? And if he could talk, I would say, come back here and follow me, because I'm your master. And he, you do that all the time with the one you call your master. I'm out here, Lord. You need to come and bless what I'm doing. Hey, God, I'm going over here, and I hope it's okay with you. He's like, I had something else in mind. Do you really want to go where Jesus didn't want to go? Do you really want to do what Jesus doesn't want you to do? You need to repent when that happens. And it would be much better for you to say, okay, Jesus, here we go. I'm ready to go. Where are we going? I'll just, I mean, it sounds kind of weird. I'll heal. <laughs> I'm just at your heel, Lord. I'll just go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And what's amazing is you think, oh, that sounds like a real bad idea. No, that's a real good idea. That's why it says in Luke chapter 15, the story, Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son and the three stories of lost things that were found that ends in the story of a lost son that was found and came back and they had the big party. Remember that? And in every, every, there's a little transition between each of the stories, right? About that when they find something, they should rejoice and have a party. When a sinner, and it says, and so it is in the presence of his holy angels. When there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. You want to make God happy? Repent. You want to make you happy? Repent. If you are a follower of Jesus, you turn from your ideas, you turn to follow him, he will empower you to do that with the power of the Holy Spirit, and your life will get so fun. Yesterday, I, I come out of the store, and there's a guy rooting through the trash can, and he's looking for cans, obviously. And I remember I have a few cans in my car. So I said, hey, are you looking for cans? And he goes, yeah. The guy's name was Mark. I go, come with me. I got some cans in my car I'll give you. So Mark starts following me through the parking lot. And Mark is obviously not a guy who could work a lot of places. He says to me, my brother has, he says, we're real proud, my brother has a heating and air conditioning business. I said, well, that's really neat. Do, do you ever work with him? He goes, yeah. He lets me work with him sometimes, but all I can do is carry his tools. I said, that's really neat. That's a good job, heating and air conditioning. So we get to my Jeep, and I open up the tailgate of my Jeep, and I take my groceries out of the cart, and I put them in. And then I get, I got three cans, three bags of cans, and I start to put them in the cart, and he's just thrilled that he's gotten so many cans. And he goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe it was 20 bucks worth of cans. And then he walks away with his cart. When I got in my car and closed the door, I just burst into tears of joy. And I'm sitting there crying, thinking, what is going on here? And I realized, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. If I had put those cans back and got that little ticket and got 20 more dollars, I wouldn't have cried with joy. But when I gave my cans to Mark, <laughs> somehow, and I thought about you guys, hundreds of us now, hundreds of us, hundreds of us. Hundreds of us, followers of Jesus, everyone, going out here and there now. How exciting, how joyful, how f fulfilling, what an abundant life it would be. 
if this week, and we just say, okay, Jesus, here I am, being like you today, just being like you, you went about doing good, doing good deeds, sowing good seeds, healing people who are hurt, helping people who are blind, giving to people who are poor. What a powerful world. What a powerful witness that we would have when we learn to walk with Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, pay the price for our sin, be buried and rise again, go and prepare a place for us in heaven and come back to get us. But I also want to thank you that you also stayed here long enough in the flesh, Jesus, to give us an example about the beauty of giving, of loving, of living in sensitivity to our sin. Help us, Lord, I pray, to follow you in repentance and in every other command. In Jesus' name we pray.